Okay, good to see everybody out and invite you to follow along as we open the scriptures and uh, study. And uh, over time will be profitable, be kind of a different lesson. Uh, we're only going to be looking at one verse to introduce our study here tonight. And that's found in the book of Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 and here in verse 19. The text says, when he was set down, talking about Pilate, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him saying... Have nothing to do with that just man. For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. That's the only verse that we read about that mentions about Pilate's wife. And that's the uh, title of our study here uh, this evening, Pilate's Wife. And uh, anyway, I hope that we can find some things that are sort of interesting, profitable. Anytime you study the Bible, ponder about it. There are lessons to be learned. Uh, oh, by the way, does anybody remember her name, Pilate's wife's name? Anybody remember her name? No. Nobody, nobody knows? It's simple. Mrs. Mrs. Pilate. Mrs. Pilate. <laughs> That's a little joke. <laughs> there, there are some, some uh, well, they're, they're not inspired. They're not counted in the canon. But uh, one, one book says her name was Claudia uh, Procula. I, I don't know. Might, might be right. Might not be right. Uh, but, but anyway, no. Uh, but this is the only verse that does mention about Pilate's wife. And uh, anyway, that's kind of the basis of our study. All right, Pilate's wife. First thing that I want to notice is that, yeah, there's only one verse. And we think, well, if it's just one verse, well, you know, it's maybe not that important or really you can't prove anything. No. If one verse says something, one verse is that, that's all we need. Uh, for instance, in, in the book of Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, when Jesus was tempted of the devil, his response was, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So if there's something that comes out of the mouth of God, that's sufficient. For instance, you've got two or three examples that you're only going to find one verse. For instance, in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread... Paul preached unto them, ready to part on the morrow, on the next day, and continued speech unto midnight. Now, that is the only verse that identifies the day when the, the saints partook of the Lord's Supper, the first day of the week. That's the only verse. You can find other verses where it talks about the, uh, the local church meeting to, to, to break bread, like Acts chapter 2 talks about that, that they continue steadfastly in the Apostle Doctrine Fellowship, breaking of bread, the, the Lord's Supper. You read in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11 that as often as you do it, uh, that we're to eat the bread and drink the cup in remembrance of him, but doesn't identify the day. All we have is Acts 20 and verse 7. But that's all we need. One verse is sufficient. And when one verse gives us information, well, that settles the matter. Or, for instance, there in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye, upon the first day of the week. <clears throat> Let every one of you lay by him stories. God has prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. That's the only text that talks about the time for a collection. You read various verses in the Bible that talks about a collection that was made, an offering that was made. But this is the only text, 1 Corinthians 16, that talks about the day. And that's on the first day of the week. And some translations will say the first day of every week. And then in the Old Testament, there is only one verse that mentions the promise that Christ would be after the order of Melchizedek. And that's in Psalm 110. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Only one verse that talks about that Jesus would be after the order of Melchizedek. That's all we need. Just one verse. 
We can have three verses. We can have five verses. I mean, whatever. But if the Bible establishes something with one verse, okay, it is established. And one verse can be just as important as having five verses on this topic. But if we only have one verse on this topic, it's just as binding, just as, just as true, just as right, just as the way God has revealed it, whether he reveals with one verse or a topic that he reveals with 10 or 20 or, or, or 50 verses. One verse is important. Something else that we can learn, and that is, you know, sometimes we might feel insignificant. And, you know, there are people that, you know, there are people that are in the church that are, are well-known in lots of different places. And maybe sometimes we think, ah, you know, I'm not all important. I never do anything, in the, certainly in the public, in, in the public view of, of the congregation. And, uh, I don't really visit around. Well, it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> if, if you are a Christian, you're a child of God, you are important. And I think there's a, a great lesson to be learned. There in the book of Esther, I, I like what Mordecai tells uh, Esther there in verse 14. For if you altogether hold your peace at this time, then shall relief and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house shall be destroyed. And who knows whether you are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther, you, you might be the very person that God's going to use. And, and she was to deliver the Jews. And, and what was happening with wicked Haman that he was said and bent on destroying, bent on destroying uh, uh, the Jewish nation, not just Mordecai, but the whole nation. And she was, she was the, the person that God used. And, you know, there's a great lesson about that. That here, you just, she's only mentioned once. What? She had an important message for Pilate. He didn't, I don't know if he fully listened. I don't know, maybe he was, took the political view. He started to listen to his wife, and he started to listen to the crowd. But anyway, we'll talk about that on down the line. But the Gets into there in Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, you got, you got all these lists of people there that Paul mentions. Uh, like, for instance, there in verse 8, it says, Greet Ampilatus, uh, 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 my beloved in the Lord. Greet uh, Urban or Urbanus, our helper in Christ. And Stasis, uh, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet them who have the Aristobulus household, etc. A lot of these names that are mentioned here, one verse, just one mention. I mean, Urbanus or Urban, my helper in Christ. Only, only passage that mentions this brother. But it says a lot when you consider he's a helper in Christ. He's in Christ. He's a Christian. He helped Paul. They worked together. They worked together in the gospel. And he served the Lord. He, 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 you know, he worshiped regularly. I mean, if you're a helper, if Paul's recognizing, I mean, the implications, recognizing a faithful brother, involves all that means to be a Christian, that he was growing in the Lord, etc. All that's implied, and he's mentioned there. So, don't ever think that, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not important. I'm not significant. If you're a servant of the Lord, you are significant. I mean, you read about these, these people that only one verse and how many that were never mentioned, but yet were faithful to the Lord. God will recognize and will always remember uh, those who serve him. There's not going to be one, one individual that will ever be forgotten by God. And that's an important lesson. Don't ever feel insignificant. If you're a servant of God, you are significant. You're very important in the plan of God. And I think that's something that we can learn as we think about uh, Pilate's wife. Something else, God communicates in different ways. 
You know, the book of Hebrews begins in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, God, who at, who at many times and in various manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, about whom also he made the worlds. God in various, uh, it says various times, and in various manners. God revealed uh, an important message to Pilate's wife. Don't, don't have anything to do with this just, man, this just man, this righteous man, and revealed to her, and it bothered her. That was one way that God sometimes revealed things. I mean, you think about other cases, like when the donkey spoke to, uh, to Balaam. I mean, that was different. Or when God spoke directly from Mount Sinai there, and, and this booming voice, and, and the people so scared, oh, please don't let God talk to us personally anymore. That was a different manner of how God revealed. And that, that, that's God communicated his will in various ways. He communicated his will sometimes just through the prophets, through writings, through the Urim and the Thummim. The Urim and the Thummim was kind of like this breastplate, the high priest. And they would seek God's counsel. And I don't know if it glowed. I, I don't know. It just, but somehow through this, this breastplate of the Urim and the Thummim, it would reveal God's will. And God, of course, has that capacity to reveal himself in whatever manner he sees fit. Something else as we think about the text there in Matthew chapter 27, when uh, uh, Pilate sits down, his wife says, have nothing to do with that just man. Jesus was a just man. He was absolutely just. He was absolutely righteous. And that truly was the, the Son of God. As Peter says, the just dying for the unjust. The unjust, well, that's us, unjust, because we've committed sin. But the just, that's Jesus, who had no sin, he dies for us. And there in Acts chapter uh, 22, when Paul is recounting his conversion, he talks about uh, Ananias. It says, in one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews who dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive your sign. And the same hour I looked up and I uh, looked upon him. And he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and to see that just one, and should hear the voice of his mouth. For, he shall, uh, be, uh, for you shall be his witness unto all men, that uh, <clears throat> all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. So Paul would be a witness of the just one. That's Jesus. He's the just one. He's the righteous one. That's an important lesson. To always understand that he's just. And what he, whatever Jesus says, whatever Jesus commands, whatever Jesus teaches, it's just, it's right, it's good. It's his will. It's what he wants for us. Don't ever second guess whatever Jesus teaches because he's the just one. You know, sometimes you can look at people and men can be just. And then men sometimes, well, sometimes people change and Maybe they're not just at times, but not Jesus. He's always the just one. He's always the righteous one. That's an important lesson to, to remember. Something else as we think about this text, as you look there in Matthew chapter 27, is that she was disturbed by it and she wanted to tell. And that is we need to listen to God. Don't, have, don't do anything with this just man. I mean, the, God was revealing this by a dream. That, that happened. Not sure that he 
I really don't believe that he does that today because he's, he's fully revealed his will. But there were times, just like with this lady. And she was kind of listening. And she's going and, and, and sending word to her husband. You know, the point is, we need to listen to God. I mean, it was kind of unusual, really quite unusual, how God was revealing his will in this dream. Uh, but it was an important message. And she acted upon this message. She uh, goes and tries to tell her husband about it. Now, whether he fully, well, I don't know. He, he was kind of in a predicament there. I mean, he's got his wife telling this, and it's, you know, it's a dream, probably a message from God, and it's pretty unusual. And then he's got all these Jews to deal with, and, you know, what, what are you going to do about that? And, and he's responsible for, you know, Caesar, and, and if there's a big an uproar, you know, he might be in trouble. So he was in a pretty dire predicament there. But we ultimately always need to listen to God. God's always right, and we need to pay attention to him. Even if there's consequences of listening to God that gets us in trouble with whoever, we still need to listen to God first. Kind of reminds me there in the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember Jesus transfigured and, and he was just, it was so white and it was like, whoa, and bright. And then all of a sudden here's Moses and Elijah talking to him. And Peter, of course, he sort of speaks up and said, well, you know, maybe we ought to build three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And in verse 5 it says, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which uh, said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear you him. Listen to my son. Listen. He says, hear you him. Not them. Hear him. Not them. Ah, just listen to Moses. Listen to Elijah. Listen to the law and the prophet Jesus. I mean, just take it all in. You just listen to the whole word of God. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's all the same. And we just need to listen to all of them. No, that's not what God said. God said, hear you him. Him who? My beloved son. Who's his beloved son? Jesus. So we listen to Jesus. We don't listen to Moses and, and uh, uh, the law and the prophets. We listen to Jesus. That's an important lesson uh, on the side. That is we're under New Testament authority. We're under the law of Christ, not the, uh, the law of Moses. And then consider where uh, Peter was preaching there. He quotes the book of Deuteronomy, chapter, chapter 18. There in Acts chapter 3. In verse 22 and 23, it says, For Moses truly said, of, uh, said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things, whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. So here, Moses wrote in this prophecy, Deuteronomy chapter 18, There's going to come a time, there's going to come one, He's going to kind of be like me. He's going to be a prophet. And the basic definition of a prophet is one who speaks for God. Many times you ask people, well, what's a prophet? Well, somebody foretells the future. Well, sometimes they do foretell the future, but that's not really the basic concept and the ideal. A prophet is a mouthpiece. That is a mouthpiece for God. They speak for God. Sometimes they tell the future. Sometimes they're just talking about the here and now. Sometimes they're just delivering God's command. But they're a mouthpiece for God. They're, they're revealing God's will. That's what a prophet does. That's uh, God's mouthpiece. And this prophet that was to come, Moses talked about, you shall hear him in some things, most things, no, on all things. And whatsoever he shall say unto you, well, we need to be listening. We need to be listening. That's an important concept. 
I mean, Pilate's wife, she, she listened to this dream. It's like, whoa, you know, and she, she acted upon that. But we, we need to listen to Jesus and what he has revealed to us in the New Testament. We need to listen to him. And if we don't listen, well, what's the warning? Well, we're going to be destroyed. Not going to be good. Not going to be pretty. It's, not, it's going, to be, going to be bad if we don't listen to Jesus. That's an important lesson, listening to God. I mean, how many times do we tell our kids, you know, you better listen to your mom and dad. You better pay attention. You better do what your mom and dad says. You know, so sometimes it's not, it's kind of like a, a child not playing and mom calls for supper for the kid to come in and he doesn't or she doesn't. And then dad says, uh, did, did you hear your mama? It's not a problem with the auditory nerve. It's like wasn't paying any attention to act upon what mom said. That, that's the problem. And when it says that we're to hear him, that means we're to hear, not only with the auditory nerve, but we're to act upon what we hear. And that's a very important lesson. Pilate's wife, something else that we might consider. And that is truth is disturbing. As you read there in the text there in Matthew chapter 27, she says, uh, have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. She has this dream about Jesus, that he's a just man, and really you, you shouldn't be, you know, have anything to do with him. You better just leave hands off. And she's quite disturbed about that. Well, the truth has a way of disturbing people. Because truth is disturbing. Because so many times the philosophies, the ideas, the perceptions of human beings is like way out. I mean, just far-fetched. Just crazy ideas that people come up with. I was at the funeral home uh, yesterday afternoon. <clears throat> Nana Burkhardt passed away. And anyway, I was talking with uh, uh, Robbie and Brenda. And somehow we, we got on different, talking about different things, but... She, she, she was talking about there's, there's some of these young girls that they like put on like cat's ears and they have like a cat tail like purry or something like that and they, they they're like identifying as cats and uh, you know and it's like these boys are like barking at them like a dog would bark at a cat and they got in trouble and got expelled from school and I'm thinking that's the craziest thing I ever heard <laughs> I don't know maybe. <laughs> I'd heard smatterings of it, but I just, I can't believe that people get, get way out, I mean, way out there in left field, some of the most crazy things. And so it is when, and so when you speak truth, people that are, you know, they buy a hook, line, and sinker, the, the, the ideals of human beings and philosophies of, of men and the crazy notions of human beings, truth can be quite disturbing. It's very disturbing. But truth emanates from God. It's like when we were talking, I said, well, you know, I identify, I'm a teenager. You know, I identify as a teenager. <laughs> so what? I'm still 63 years old. <laughs> I'm an older guy. I'm not a teenager. I may identify as a teenager, and if you call me an old man, I'm going to be offended because I identify as a teenager. See the nonsense of that? That means crazy. There are just, there's certain things that are just true. And you can't change truth. And it's the same way spiritually. You can't change truth. And some people that are way off base, you know, they get, well, they may be perturbed by truth. 
And it ought to disturb you to want to accept the truth. For instance, there in the book of Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, it says there, Now when they heard this, that is, that Jesus, that, yeah, he was the one, as Jesus of Nazareth, proved of God, and yeah, you killed him, but God, uh, and he was buried, and yeah, God raised him from the dead, and he ascended back on high. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the pastors, Men and brethren, what shall we do? See, it disturbed them. They come to the realization that they had killed this Jesus thinking that, you know, some sort of imposter, that really he isn't the Christ, he isn't the Messiah. But then the proof was laid out and it disturbed them. In this way, in this case, in a good way, because then they were converted. They accepted the word. 3,000, about 3,000 obey the gospel. But then you look at another case, how truth can be disturbing, but not such good results. In Acts chapter 24, Paul has the opportunity to speak to Felix and Drusilla and whoever else may have been there. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and judgment to come, the Bible says Felix trembled. See, truth can be quite disturbing. He trembled. But he answers and says, go your way for this time. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. He had hoped also that money should have been given unto him by Paul that he might re release him. Therefore he sent uh, for him often and conferred with him. So here's a fellow that's disturbed by truth, but it doesn't lead to conversion. But yeah, truth does uh, uh, disturb people. Because especially when people got crazy ideas, it will disturb them. Maybe like Felix, but then in action, or maybe like some on the day of Pentecost, well, it moves them to action to uh, make a turnaround in their heart. Something else as we think about Pilate's wife is that we need to speak up for what was right. She gets this dream from God and have nothing to do with it, it's just man, and so she sends word to her husband, don't, don't, don't mess with this guy, he's, he's a just man, don't mess with him, uh, etc. You see, she's acting upon what had been revealed to her by this dream. You know, there's a lesson there. In the book of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, We have the same spirit of faith. According as it is written, I have believed, and therefore I have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Paul cites this Old Testament passage and makes application. When we really believe the gospel... We really believe whatever truth or whatever topic that God has revealed, when we are confronted with somebody else saying something different, if we really believe, we're going to stand up, we're going to uh, 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 stand up or speak up and say, no, no, this is what God says. I mean, when people say some of the, cra the, I mean, the craziest stuff in this world, whatever the topic might be, you know, that we come from the, you know, the Big Bang Theory, the general theory of evolution, well, if you know the Bible, like, well, you may believe that, but that's not really what happened. It's like God created us, an intelligent creator created us, not dumb luck and blind chance created us by accident. No, we were created by God. And you can just go down whatever topic you want to talk about. I mean, you, you got people that they're, they're against uh, capital punishment, like somehow it's, it's cruel and unusual, it's horrible, it's bad. But biblically, Capital punishment was taught in the patriarchal age. In Genesis chapter 9, when Noah left the ark, uh, whoever sheds man's blood by him, his, his blood should be shed. 
there are things that are guilty. In the law of Moses, there were various crimes that one could receive capital punishment. And in the New Testament, Paul recognizes capital punishment. He told them there in Acts chapter 24, if I've done something worthy of death, I refuse not to die. People can make all kinds of crazy arguments, whatever, but it's still ordained and taught in the New Testament and in, in the Bible throughout all three ages, the patriarchal age, the Mosaic age, and our age, that capital punishment is uh, right and correct. And so whatever topic, if you really believe God, speak up for God. Then notice there in the book of Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, Paul's here at Corinth. It says, uh, then spoke, the, then spoke the, the Lord to Paul in night by vision. Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not your peace. For I am with you, and no man shall set on you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Now, maybe Paul was kind of discouraged. Maybe people reject and say, ah, Paul, we don't believe you. Maybe they laughed at him. Maybe they ridiculed him. Maybe they made fun of him. Whatever. But the Lord kind of comforted him. Hey, Paul, speak up. Speak up for what's right. You just speak the word because you know there's going to be some people that are going to hear. And in every age, there are going to be those mockers. There's going to be those people that make fun of. Uh, you know, you could probably think in the days of Noah. Hey, Noah, think, you think this boat's going to float, really? There's not even a river anywhere near. Not even a lake. Not an ocean anywhere. I, I, how, you gonna, how, you, how do you know if it's going to even float? You know, you, you, he could have been made fun of very easily because of unbelief. And people make fun of, people make fun of positions that we take. It's like, uh, who was I talking to? And uh, Yeah, they, well, anyways, on the topic of abortion, and, and they said uh, <clears throat> that, uh, well, the fellow responded, well, it's just a matter of your opinion. And she thought, well, it's not my opinion. It's what the Bible reveals. Yeah. And, you know, speak up. Speak up for what's right. Speak up for the, uh, the will of the Lord. And whatever God teaches us, you can have full confidence. People may make, make fun, and there may be the majority. I mean, the majority may say, you know, abortion is, you know, it's a personal woman's right to choose and blah, 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 blah. But still, biblically, it's simply committing murder. It's killing an innocent human being. Okay, another lesson to think about as we ponder that, about that one verse about Pilate's wife. And that is wives do have influences upon their spouses. As you read there in Matthew chapter 27, she sends the word, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Which of the two will you that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said unto him, What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they all said unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Then Pilate saw that there was that he could do, that he could gain nothing, but that rather atonement was made. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Then all the, pe then all the people uh, said, His blood be upon us and upon our children. You know, I think about Pilate. He, he was in a predicament. I mean, here he is. He's 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 governor over 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 the uh, 
uh, the land of Judea. His wife is giving him this very disturbing message that no doubt bothered him too. And here you got to deal with these Jews and all the people. They're, you know, they're, they're getting out of control. They're clamoring for death. He's responsible before, uh, before Caesar. But he is the governor. He has Roman soldiers. And so I guess maybe in his mind, maybe he thinks this is okay. I, I don't know. But no doubt his wife kind of influenced him to think. And maybe it was for her sake that he takes the water, washes his hands. Oh, I'm, I'm innocent. You know? He was in a bad predicament there. Tough situation, tough situation. But right is always right. And sometimes doing right can have bad consequences, but we always need to do the right thing. And then notice there in 1 Peter chapter 3 where it talks about how wives can have influence with their husbands. It says, Likewise, you wives, being subject in your, be subject to your own husbands, uh, that if any obey not the word. See, that's the first thing you're going to try to do with an unbelieving spouse is try to win them with the word. Try to talk to them. Try to share the message. Try to reason with them from the word of God. But maybe that doesn't work. Peter goes on to say, They also may without the word be won by the conduct of their wives. While they behold your chaste conversation, uh, chaste behavior, coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the braiding of the hair and the wearing of gold, putting on of the marrow, putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. For after this manner, in former times, the holy women, uh, the holy women also who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. Well, what's the lesson? Wives have an influence uh, with their husbands. And uh, Peter talks about how they can have an influence, a good influence. It's a great, it's a great, uh, a great combination of husbands and wives sharing together, working together, trying to influence one another for good and for what's right. And I think we can learn that as we ponder about Pilate's wife. All right, well, we extend the invitation, how to become a child of God. Didn't really talk about that. But it becomes, it, it, it begins by hearing. That's the first step. Just as we talk about we need to hear God, yeah, we need to hear God. We need to hear the message. We need to hear about salvation. And that salvation is in Christ Jesus. Jesus come and died for us. And if we believe that message with all our heart, in hearing that, saying, yeah, this is it. This is, this is the truth. We believe in Christ. We repent. We turn from wrongdoing. We're turning to the Lord. And that's, that's going to be the hard command. And then be willing to confess. And you could confess Jesus before Men, even tonight, a plurality of persons, and then be baptized. A pool of water up here, just like Paul was told, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. You could do that even tonight, just like, just like we read about in the Bible, just like Paul. He, he needed his sins washed away by the blood of Christ. Sometimes people kind of get that, that message confused. It's not the water that washes away. The water is when our sins are washed away. What washes away is our sin is the blood of Christ. Revelation chapter 1, we're washed in his blood. But when, that is when we're baptized because that's when we come in contact because we're buried with him in baptism. We're buried into his death, Paul says in Romans chapter 6. So water doesn't wash away the sins, but it's when we wash away our sins in the blood of Christ because God commands, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So that's how you harmonize the text. People stand confused about that, thinking, well, how, how does water wash away sins? Water don't, intrinsically in itself. The water of baptism does not intrinsically take away your sins. 
But the water of baptism is important because it's the command of the Lord, and that's where we find the cleansing of the blood of Christ in obedience and appealing to the truth of God by uh, fulfilling his will. When we come out of that watery grave, we're exhorted to grow and be faithful. And if we do err, we need to come back through repentance and prayer. We're going to sing the song to encouragement. If there's one here, even tonight, that needs to obey the gospel, we stand ready. We stand ready to help you to obey the gospel, and we'll be glad to do whatever is necessary to help you obey the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you will listen to him and to obey his will, we stand ready. Let us know if we can help. Why together as we stand and as we sing.